Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Right, well, welcome back to part two. It's still with me, Russell, with Andy B, with Peter M., with Robin W and with Kevin D, how are you all doing? <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah. I'm fine. All right. Well, all I'm, refilled and so on and so forth. I, I went to get another glass of wine, and my wife said, "It's still going on." I said, "Yes." Yeah. She said, "What the Brighton one?" I said, "Yeah." She said, oh, I "Didn't think it would last quite that long." I said, yeah. so it's all very civilized, actually, darling. They're very nice chaps. <laughs> you see, the problem is, Kevin, you've done exactly what every other Palace fan I've met outside of Football Day has done, and reinforced the. The, the impression I've got that they're the nicest people. It's really irritating. Yeah, we want really to hate irritating. you, but we can't do it. I know. It's, every, it's, like, every, it's very difficult Seriously, a number of times I've met Palace fans and they've all been lovely people, even well, on tubes got, after games. I've every, shared every, a tin with someone. Every, every club's got its fair share of Robins. You know what I mean? We're a, we're a South yeah. London club and, of course... It's just that I think I think what it is on podcasts like this, it's sort of like tends to attract like in a way. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's always been my argument, even in the bad, bad old days, it's always been my argument that 90% of football fans are ordinary men and women like we are who just want to go to the game and enjoy it. And I think that number's gone up to 99%. That's not, unless you're a Burnley fan. But you're absolutely right. And it's, you know, there are still people who want to change the narrative and yeah. Especially looking for, and again, one of the things I, I, I very rarely get angry, but it, it went almost unnoticed when uh, Michael, when we came out of the, the first lockdown, and they were talking about the idea of fans coming back into games. When when Michael Gove, Gove said in Parliament that they weren't going to allow it, it, it wasn't the fact that there would be any problems in the ground, but he literally didn't trust football fans not to get drunk. And, and hug each other or have sex in pubs or on tubes. But there's still that there's still that element of people who don't outside the game, who who still have that old Thatcherite image of us, who still think that we're all, who still think that all the problems of the eighties and the nineties were were caused by fans, rather than caused by the things that were, were upset. And you know the, the way some of us are treated. I, I'm, I'm a, an old fashioned Guardian reading lefty liberal like this. There's only there's only so far you can push people 
before they will kick back against it. There's only there's only so so you can only treat people so badly. So again, we haven't got time to get into it. But it's yeah, like, I said the, the quick yeah. counterbalance to that is, of course, football fans didn't really get that much credit when they were not buying pay-per-view matches and were putting money into food banks uh, instead. Uh, you're, uh, again, you're absolutely right. <coughs> and every club, we are on, on the price of football. We, Because we, Sunderland fans got in touch with us to tell us what they were doing. And off the back of that, we said to every club, we will let us know what you're doing. Every single club, not just in the Football League, but in the National Leagues as well. They're all doing it. And, and the clubs are all doing it. But these are fans above and beyond. Doing, and of course, of course, Sky are not going to report the fact that people are not are not paying pay-per-view. Of course, BT are not going to make that a story, but it's a much better story than whether, you know, Jack Grealish has got four points in his licence or ten. But of course, fans... But because there, there is still that image outside of football, even 20, 30 years on from the bad old days, that football fans are to be avoided. And yet, you know yourself, hmm. you go... I go to the Porson's Arms before a game. There's, there's lawyers, there's plumbers, there's cab drivers, there's brickies, there's... there's all, there's all sorts of people. But yeah, it does a lot more for societal cohesion because you actually <laughs> meet people that you wouldn't meet. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in, yeah, in exactly. Any, yeah. And, anyway, and not only could... that, but we but we we've got more empathy because we we tra- you know, I say I love theatre and I love opera. There ain't no opera fans travelling to to Burnley or to Accrington, so they don't know what's going on in the world. We know what, well, all my geography when I was place. a kid. I learned all my geography from from football. I learned all my social history. I knew they made saddles in Warsaw because they were called the Saddlers. I'm, yeah, I, I have yeah. A, a lot more geographical knowledge than anyone almost I know of my generation. Because you've yeah, covered, I've been you've to covered these the country. Places, yeah. yeah. But also, I remember going to Burnley five years ago. It was the first time I'd been there in a few years. And you go up there and you look around and you think, Jesus Christ, this is what austerity looks like. This is because you see, you see what it's like for them. And, we're, and other people come... don't see that. I, well, I was going to say you should come to Hartlepool, but also you shouldn't come to Hartlepool in the same breath. <laughs> I've been to but, Hartlepool. Um, I know. It's, it's, if yeah. you've been to Hartlepool recently, yeah. similar, the main street, I don't know if you remember where you come out, if you walk straight out of the station, you come to quite a large street that was kind of shops and bubs and lit, they're all closed. Really? There's not one thing, yeah, there's yeah. not one shop or restaurant, they're all closed. Hmm. Well, I mean, Kira, Kieran Maguire donates the royalties of his book, Price of Football, to Trussell Food Banks in Sussex. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who would say, "What do you? How? How? Why are there food banks in Sussex?" But of course there are. I, I, a chap yeah. got in touch. A chap got in touch with me two years ago, uh, who runs a poverty charity in Sussex. Now I asked that question, and he, he just really interesting thing. It never occurred to me. He said, "You've got so many like quite nice new build estates in rural Sussex, but what councils do in the towns is like because they have some affordable housing, so they bung people in." from Brighton council estates into these lovely little rural estates where there's no local shop. They haven't got cars. There's no bus service. So they can't, they can't eat what they're they're supposed to do. do. And it's like, if, if Sussex, yeah, it's just shocking. All these things that Marcus Rashford, for example, who should be the sports personality of the year, they shouldn't even have it. It should should be Marcus Rashford, as simple as that. And the fact that the BBC found a way not to nominate him, I think is shameful because they knew he would have won. And the fact is, it's it's a Marcus Rashford shouldn't be feeding kids, and the Daily Mail and the Express shouldn't be having a go at him because he wants to feed kids. It makes that again. Yeah, I genuinely think Marcus Rashford's done more for this country this year than the government has. I always yeah. I did. Right. I don't well, have a lot of time, and I've spent all the last <laughs> yeah. my soapbox. Well, we, like we've so. got we've got about fifteen, haven't we, Kevin? So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Let's move on to talking about your career. So. Um, 
people will or may know you from various things. Um, ultimately, we said it at the beginning. You write. Uh, you're one of the writers for Have I Got News for You. Yeah. Um, how did that come about? And um, you, well, you were a stand-up comedian originally, weren't you? I think is I, that right? I, I still am actually. It, it, it's hmm. strange. You, you use the word career, and I, I'm. <clears throat> people accuse me of being modest. I, I never use. There's a series of happy accidents. I never really had a career. I'd, I, I was supposed to do archaeology at Reading University, but got kicked out after one term. Ended up uh, as a builder. I ended up with a really quite decent career in the health service. I used to work for the ambulance service, and I was quite a de- got to quite a decent management level. Loved it, but then found myself. Uh, some friends of mine booked me an open spot, and I I, I did it because I had no ambitions of being a comedian, but. They booked it for me because we would watch comedy and I'd say, leave this people and we paid three quid to see this nonsense. Um, and it just it just went from there. And then basically I'm very proud of being a stand-up. I still am. And it, it's it's odd that that's I, I have to make sure I, I went back to Edinburgh three years ago because I was having a conversation with John Richardson, and John Richardson said, What's it say on your passport? And I said, stand-up comedian. He said, Well, you don't do gigs. So I had to make myself go to Edinburgh. So a whole new generation of comics that I wrote with could see me do stand-up. And it's still what I love the most. But the, Have I Got News For You came about because I was asked uh, to write on They Think It's All Over by Harry Thompson, God rest his soul. And I knew Nick Hancock was one of my best mates and I knew most of the people on it. And uh, Harry asked me to write on it and I went, no, I should be on it. What do you mean, write? I'm not going to write, I should be on it. And he went, well, no, you... you we, we think you'd be great. Nick needs people writing for him. And I went, no, I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm not writing for TV. It's just, I've got too much integrity. And this went on for about six months with Harry literally once a, a week would phone up and say, please come and be one of the writers. I say, no, get the professional, write their own jokes. And then he, he told me how much you could earn in a day writing on a TV comedy show. And I just said, well, why didn't you tell me this six months ago? Because <laughs> you're paying way above my integrity rate. My integrity, my integrity went out of the window half that money, basically. So... I ended up writing on that, which was a very, it was I, the only jokes I'm ashamed of ever having written were on that show. It was a harsh show. I mean, we wrote some jokes that were funny at the time, but I, with hindsight, we didn't choose that. Was time. it, was it that show that really took the piss out of Luke Chadwick? It was. Yeah. Not, not just Luke Chadwick, but people like Richard Keyes deserved it, but people like yeah. Fatima Whip, people like Fatima Whitbread didn't. And, it was at the time as well when you had Frank and Dave taking the piss out of just it, you know, um, uh, what's, do you know what's his name? Oh, Jason, Jason Lee, wasn't it? The, the forest. Yeah. It was, it, it was, it, it, it's not an excuse, but it was a more robust time. And we, we didn't pick our targets. Right. And it was, you know, the thing is that we would, and these, these were the jokes that were broadcast. I mean, the stuff that we, we, didn't yeah, put on two. Do you know what I mean? And it, floor, yeah. yeah, and it's like I, I kind of regret that, but it's it, it, basically I got offered other jobs off the bat. So Buzzcocks, I got offered off, and, and then I got off, off when Angus Deaton left. <laughs> bless him, was required to leave. Uh, yes. Have I got news for you? Uh, and oddly enough, the BBC would have been happy for him to continue. It was the production company Hattrick, uh, both of whom the owners were. Uh, born again Christians at the time. They thought it was wrong for him to carry on. And also they were right because they thought that Angus couldn't occupy any more high ground with politicians, etc. So they had a bit of a shake up when Angus left and decided to get new writers in and they asked me to be one of them. So I've written on it just about every week since 
Angus went, which frightened me, I think is about 20 years now. And outside stand-up comedy, it's probably my my favourite job to do. It's a frustrating, difficult one. I, that makes I, me feel really old that that's about 20 years ago. It's, 30, it's the 30th anniversary yeah, so. of the whole series this year. Oh, I know. It's, um, wow. Really? Yeah, it's and it's. I, I remember watching that with him on yeah, Grey Up, that sort of thing, and that makes me feel so old. It's what it's <laughs> the, fact, the fact it's lasted it's, so long is 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 a it's, testament to how good it is, though. Well, I it think, is how good it stayed. It, yeah. It's also a testament to how cheap it is to make. To be perfect, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, and it's a testament to the fact that it gets the same four million people watch it every week, so it gets a solid view, and also because it's got a lot of. Um, influence isn't the right word but it's written about in the right newspapers if you know what i mean and also ian's yeah. it's it, ian's it's not so bad for ian looking at old photographs because ian's always looked 60 like, it's more frightening <laughs> for paul to look at the old photographs but it's yeah. it's a it's a strange i've always had this odd thing with i stopped writing for other comedians particularly i would help them write for i stopped doing that because i i i didn't think that was the right i just didn't enjoy it and it's it's kind of odd. If a stand-up comedian is hosting of I Got News For You, I still find it odd writing. And it's very labour-intensive. For every for every joke that gets broadcast, there's probably about 50 or 60 written. It's a, it's a very... So it's a frustrating show to write on, but it's a brilliant show to write on. And I'm very, I'm very proud of some of the stuff I've, I've done on that show. And it, unfortunately, the way things are going, TV shows are getting more and more judged on their social media impact now. Uh, than they used yeah. to be. Uh, and it will come a time when somebody decides that Ian and Paul, they're probably a bit old, aren't they, for this? Do we need this, Do we need this now? But until that time, it's it, it's still going strong. And I'm really, it's booked up for another three years ahead. So at least and it's yeah. it's something I've enjoyed. So I, I, it's it's a show I've, I, I'm very proud to be part of as well. And, and, and also I write on League, I've done every single show on League of the Road, which is, my job on League of the Road, basically, apart from writing the script, is, you know, some thoroughbred racehorses like to have a little fat pony in the field with them. I'm Jamie Redknapp's little fat pony. <laughs> on studio days, I, I sit with Jamie and I calm him down. I make eye contact for him uh, and I answer all the difficult questions like, how are you? And uh, I love I love Jamie to bits. I, I generally love him. He's one of the nicest people you can meet. He's, I'd say young people. He's not that young anymore, but... I've never met a person less curious about the world than Jamie. <laughs> and I, and I, he knows, he, he won't mind me saying that. And I, I envy him because he wakes up in the morning without a care in the world, basically. Exactly, he, yeah. He hasn't got a favourite Shakespeare play, doesn't care who the Prime Minister is, but he loves it. would be lovely, works. actually. And wouldn't be it be, it's almost like being a fundamental religious person, somebody who wakes up in the morning and has got no doubt about anything. Whereas Freddie is a, is one of the most interesting people I've ever met, Freddie. Freddie's, but obviously he's very complex, isn't he? Freddie's mm-hmm. troubled. Trouble's not the right word, but Freddie, where, where, where Jamie isn't, isn't troubled by intellect at all, Freddie, Freddie thinks, Freddie's interested. Freddie, if you use a word in a conversation, for example, and Freddie's not heard that word before, Freddie will say, what does that mean? And then he'll want to know why, why he used it. He'll want to know the context. If you mention a book, Freddie will ask you about the book. Freddie, basically Freddie's, and he loves cricket, but he's never been able to replace the, the dressing room, I think, Freddie. That's the, I, I feel it must be so hard for elite sportsmen because that's, uh, yeah, I could tell people what it's like to be in. I, my favourite place in the world is the dressing room at the comedy store. I love being in there. I love being 
in the company of comedians. But for somebody like Freddie or Jamie, who spent 15, 20 years of their life traveling the world, playing sport at the most elite level, and having that dressing room environment that, that we will never know about, that you can never recreate, I think it's very difficult. And, I, mm. and Freddie's, Freddie's a really interesting... But so, so through League of Their Own, I've met an awful lot of people, really interesting people. Uh, and then through Have I Got News? Match of the Day 2 is probably the job that I've enjoyed most. But I still... Stand-up comedian is still what I say, what I call myself. And it's still, mm. I, I don't do as many gigs as I used to, but I'm, I'm very proud of being a stand-up comedian. I love stand-up comedy as an art form and I will defend it as well. And, and the interesting I, thing that I, I saw, a, I think I saw it was Ricky Gervais was interviewed recently. And he said, I can't remember exactly how he put it, but he basically said stand-up is one of the kind of most democratic art forms. It, Do you see this interview that he did? And he basically said oh. that... You, Obviously, I'm not a stand-up, so I can't. I've never yeah. done the process. But he's the, the way he described it was that when you get you'll get to a certain point in a in a, in a stand-up run, I guess if you're doing you know if you're doing quite a, a tour, yeah, yeah. he'll get to a point where he knows that this show is going to work because you, basically the audience decides in the early shows whether something stays or goes yeah. because they decide whether it's funny or not. So actually, it's a it's a rather than you like if you write if you do a sitcom or a movie you do it and it's out there and people either like it or they don't yeah. like it whereas a stand-up you can it, it evolves into something which the audience have a, a say in i guess that's that's a really good point and also the moment you know you've arrived as a stand-up is when and, and yeah I, I like to think of myself as a nice modest humble person and people say oh, kevin's a nice bloke i'm not i'm an ego driven arrogant monster because i'm a stand-up comedian we all are <laughs> and you because you, we're all shit for the first two years but we still stand up in front of the strangers and try to make them laugh and the moment you know you've arrived as a stand-up is when you don't get that laugh and for the first time you get a laugh out of not getting a laugh you can acknowledge that and but you're right because each each gig each gig you do after five nights of a joke that you love not getting a laugh, you think, no, they've won, the audience no more than I do. So you drop it or you make it better. But it's democratic in that it's one of the few art forms that you can, anybody can, if there's an open mic night, you don't have to be able to play a guitar. You don't have to have anything. Anybody who thinks they can have a go can have a go. But I think even more than that, I think the, the most democratic art form, I think podcasts are the best thing that's happened to broadcasting for, for years. I think broad, podcasts are the most democratic thing because if you can afford the equipment and some people can't if you can afford a microphone uh, and a headset and something to record it on anybody can do a podcast and any and, think, and three anybody but it's brilliant and right? any old idiots can do it but, no, but i think but but that's but it's true but it's great and, and there, yeah. there can't be any subject under the sun that somebody's not doing a podcast about yeah and, and what's yeah. happening is that people are so loyal about the podcast they listen to now in a way that it used to be a joke in our industry that the most loyal people in the world were Radio 4 listeners, that Radio 4 listeners wouldn't listen to anything else. And now what happens is somebody will find, somebody will say, I'll say I did a Brighton podcast and somebody went, oh no, you should listen to the other one. Now I listen to the other one, I won't listen to it. Like I do the Five Year Plan Palace podcast and there are people who go, never heard it, mate. I listen to Homesdale Online, I won't listen to yours. And it's the same with other pods that people say, oh, you like pods, you've got to do that, you've got to hear this one. You've, and people will pick or choose yeah. two or three pods. Because it was unfashionable, wasn't it, to, to listen to Radio 4, which is a bit old, yeah. old hat. Yeah, but yeah. now that's essentially what everyone's doing just because they've got their own headphones. Yeah, yeah. but also podcasts, um, can get, you can get – I did one for an American guy, and it's like he, – he was, he was saying, like, there's only 4,000 people listening to this. It's like 4,000 people? 
That's that's two <laughs> Wembley arenas. Do you know what I mean? It's like some bloke, yeah. and basically he's he's a massive. He's, he's in his sixties. He's a huge fan of English comedy, and he started a podcast talking to Americans about English football and English comedy. And it's I, I just I could have been on there for six hours talking about English football and English yeah. comedy. But you're talking to four thousand people, which is brilliant. Some podcasts you're talking to twenty thousand. Hundred thousand, it's great. But even if you're only talking to a hundred people, that's a hundred people listening to your yeah. podcast. I think I think podcasts are great. Yeah, well, um, that segues in nicely with what I was going to talk about next, which was the podcast. I mean, first of all, you, you've been doing five year plan for quite a few years, I think, yeah. now, haven't you? With Jim Daly's the main guy there, isn't he? The main yeah. presenter. Yeah, Jim. He, Jim is Blazing. he a comedian as well? I think he he's, is. He, he is a yes. I will tell him that yeah. you asked that question. But he, he is, yeah. But he's, <laughs> he's involved he's, in the Renf games as well, so. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah, what's going on with Palace? Because you've got you've got Jim Daly, you've got Kevin Day, you've got Mark Steele, you've got Joe Brand, you've got Eddie Izzard. There's a connection going on here, isn't there? Lots of comedians are Palace fans. What do we need to say about that? I, there are more Arsenal fans, I think, than Palace fans, but there are uh, there are a lot of Palace. I've often wondered that in the same way that I've often wondered whether comedy attracts mentally unstable people or whether doing comedy makes you mentally unstable i don't know i don't know why that I, I suppose if you think about it, you've only, you've named six people it's just probably not a lot out of a sample but they're quite vociferous palace fans as well but what i find interesting about palace it's not i, I would say 70 percent of comedians i meet say to me oh yeah palace was the first game i went to uh or palace my second team it seems that for a, for a certain generation, Palace was a safe option to take young people to who became comedians somehow. So we're one of those clubs. I suspect Brighton are the same in London. We 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 get we don't get patronised the way that Orient do, for example. I mean, Orient are the most patronised club in in London. I think the way Walsall probably are in the West the West mm-hmm. Midlands. You know, I mean, everyone's got a cousin who supports Orient. Or everyone's been to Warrior, and everyone says, Oh, what a lovely place to go. And oh, you know, bless them. It, it, it exactly it, and it really infuriates them. <laughs> you and say I that think, we, had, yeah. we, had a, we had a little bit of a rivalry with Orient for quite a few years when we were Did both you? Very really? much based on the basically <laughs> playing you as well. We played them a lot in very short space of time. Oh, and good, right, okay. Slightly controversial yeah. games. And yeah. then we kind a of like, draw with someone yeah. punching one of the players from the crowd. That was, that was uh, really a controversial game as well. And it just built up from there. Very similar. Obviously, we don't really now. We're, we're, we've kind of not played them yeah. for quite a while, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it wasn't anywhere near as bad as Palace in the first place. But it, yeah. it was, for a few years, it was quite interesting rivalry, wasn't it? it was Actually, I didn't know that. Yeah. I should mention that. Well, a bit, yeah, but I think we were sort comedy, of. Is it a neurosis with the comedy? Do you think? Is, is, is there a natural fit for a, a football fan and a, a comedian? Does it go I together? Think, I, I think I don't know many football fans. Who, that's an interesting question, actually. I've got a mate who's an anthropologist. I might ask him that, but because I don't know many many comics who aren't, <coughs> excuse me, who aren't football fans. That's a that's a really that's a really interesting point, actually. I, yeah. I don't know many football fans who have a sense of humour equally as well. well do you uh, know what? Do you know what, Pete? That's a, that's again, or who don't think they're funny. You're right. It's an interesting one because I used to get a sense of humour to watch Brighton, definitely. Yeah. Well. <laughs> It's funny because my mates always used to say I was much funnier at games before I became a comedian. It's like because I was always the one. I used to at games. I used to try and make people laugh when it all went quiet. And then once you do it for a living, it's like boxers. Most boxers you meet are the calmest, gentlest people you could ever meet because they get all their 
they're adrenaline, they're not anger. Like chefs don't like cooking at home. Absolutely, yeah. It's a strange one. It's a, that's a that's a very good question, actually. I don't. It, it is interesting that I don't know many comics who don't like football. No. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm conscious of time. You've got to go in a moment. So just very quickly, and we've got the ghost of Robin who's had to leave us, but his freeze frame has remained, which is slightly <laughs> disturbing. Um, but anyway, um, just quickly on the price of football. I mean, that's yes. that's really superseded FYP in terms of obviously listenership uh, for you. You, you and Kieran, the Albion fans. So it's the classic. It's the classic combo: Palace and Brighton fans yeah. together. Um, quick word on how that came about and and, and yeah, how well it's done. It's been brilliant, isn't it? Out, out of loyalty to FYP, I will say that I probably I, I enjoy doing it very much for the, for the same reasons that you enjoy doing Brighton yeah. Rocks. It's because yeah. it becomes a sitcom over the years. Everyone adopts their own <laughs> roles, and also because. It's that brilliant thing that you don't have to explain to anybody. It's like if I was on Talk Sport, for example, or Five Live, and I mentioned Dave Swindlehurst, I would have to say, "Okay, sorry, Dave Swindlehurst was." You know, on the yeah. on the Palace Pod, you don't have to do any of that. Everyone knows the references, and it's there's something liberating about that. It's something really joyful yeah. about that, and there's something really joyful about knowing that even when you've played really well, half the questions you get are going to be moaning about Hodgson anyway. It's like, yeah, I still want him to go, but just not now. But Price of Football came out completely out of the blue. And I, I turned it down initially. This, this, the producer guy got in touch with me. He's a business producer, uh, business news producer from Five Live. And my uh, uh, details were on there, obviously on Five Live's computer. And he emailed me to say, uh, could you give me a call? I've had this idea for a podcast. So I phoned him up and he said, I've had this idea for a, biz- a podcast about football finance. So I went, oh, I couldn't keep the disappointment out of my voice. I went, well, that sounds that sounds fascinating. I hope it all goes well for you. <laughs> please, please let me know. Please let me know how it how it goes. And he said, no, I, I think you'd be perfect to do it. I said, mate, I don't know, I don't know anything about finance. I'm a, a, a financial idiot, which is a famously abusive. I'm not allowed a credit card now. Basically, I, I get Christmas cards. This is true. I get Christmas cards from my local tax office. It's it's that it's that level of financial idiocy. I never quite got over leaving the health service and getting paid once a month to become a freelance and getting paid mainly in cash. I never quite dealt with that change. But he said, no, that's precisely why I'd like you to do it, because I think we need somebody who doesn't understand finance to to act as a sort of uh, introduction for the other people listening to it who won't. And we, I want you to, to put you together with this guy called Kieran Maguire, who's an expert in football finance. So I met Kieran and we got on really well because he's from the Elephant Castle, not far from me, we're same age, same musical taste, same uh, left-leaning, Remainer, Moni, political views, uh, same romantic view of football, both uh, probably considered old-fashioned in a way that, for me, football is one of the last bastions of, of working-class history, basically, that you know, football, all our football clubs came out of communities or out of workplaces or out of youth clubs or out of, they came out of you know and they they mean a lot to both of us as as you know like Kieran's always had this notion that football grounds should be grade two listed buildings they simply shouldn't be available to be knocked down so we got on really Absolutely. well yeah. we got on really well but we were both bemused by the idea of doing a football finance podcast neither of us thought it was a good idea uh as I say for some reason because they thought I was too childish not to take the hump finding out he was a Brighton fan, so they didn't tell me till after four. Uh, what happened was, uh, and it's a terrible thing to say, is that, that we did our first one the week 
that the Berry story started to get very grim. Mm. Uh, and basically, Kieran, with his usual forensic analysis, was able to explain to people just why Berry was going under and just why the EFL were wrong to stand aside and let it happen. And I was able to respond with genuine righteous anger. And it, it struck a chord with football fans, basically. And it just it, it just turned out that, that Kieran and I thought that maybe we'd have four weeks in it at most. We just, I, didn't, I didn't think there'd be enough stories. I generally didn't think there'd be enough to talk about. And it just turned out that there was more than enough to talk about. And both of us have this ambition that one day we won't have to do it, that one day all the money in football will be equally distributed and no clubs will ever be at the risk of going out of business and then we won't have to do our pod anymore. But until that glorious day, we will carry on doing it. And with a level of... I've never met anybody... Well, I have actually. Ian Hislop is the only person I've met that has such moral integrity and rectitude as as Kieran has. And Kieran's an astonishing... But I've put the Brighton thing to one side now, basically. We we take the piss out of each other. But, it, it, I mean, he's passionate, his loyalty. It is, I mean, my God, he's travelled some miles supporting Brighton and Hove Albion. But his his moral outrage, his, his campaign to make sure that every football club opens their books to every football fan is, is fantastic. I mean, there's a kind of campaigning. But also what's happened with the pod is that we have sort of turned into a two-person sitcom, essentially, is that... I, I still, I'm still furious. I'm, I'm a stand-up comedian. I've been, I've been in showbiz for 30 years. I've woken up in skips in Edinburgh with, with people that are now household names, and yet he's getting all the attention. This teetotal, never taken drugs in his life, never had a drink. He's getting all the attention because of all these stories of wild goings on all over the globe and it's, it's like Russian girlfriends and, 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 and nightclubs in Blackpool you know and his family as he says himself the South London gangsters you know, he, he fully admits that he's but there's an element as well because we're both I think educated out of our class if you like we, we, and we were both you know I'm against it's, it's a hypo, hypocritical thing to say that technically I'm against the grammar school system, but I was a product of the grammar school system. It's because of the grammar school system and three grants that I was able to go to university. I wasted my opportunity at university, but it was because, so we're both of the same generation and we both got our, our first, our, all our education for nothing. And Kieran's very passionate about the fact, you know, Kieran hates the fact that people have to pay for university education. He's a very moral man, but he's moral without any of the sort of, coldness and that sometimes goes with it but he's a, he's a constant source of surprise but his knowledge and his passion and it's kind of inspired in the same way that my son's generation of stand-up comics my son's 25 and he's at that he's going he's this lockdown is killing him because he just wants to be on stage in the same and I, when i was 25 i just wanted to be in front of a microphone all the time and that's all he wants to do and kieran just wants to tell people all the time about the things that are going wrong in football and it people respond to it and I think they just they just understand that we we have both have a certain level of integrity and it it just kind of works the, the fact that I'm an idiot who doesn't do any research and I, I'm as surprised I, I call it professional laziness because I don't like to research the stories I want to be as surprised as he is as, as the listeners are so when when I say to him like, what about this story and he tells me the, the facts I want to be as generally surprised as people listening to it are but both of us are amazed that it's done so well and it's going from strength to strength and I love doing it I, I really I love and in a, in a strange sort of way the fact that we've had to do it 
remotely has made it kind of more intimate in a way. I think yeah. we kind of find ourselves telling each other things that we might not do face to face when we used to do it in a in a studio. But it's it's. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's I think I think um, if, if people haven't uh, haven't listened to it, where have you been? Really, it's one of the best podcasts out there. You've really got to check Thank it you. out, um, and I really mean that. And I'm, I'm a big film fan as well. And and there's three podcasts for me which have a very similar likeness in terms of the effect they have. One is Kermode and Mayo film podcast, yeah, which if, if, yeah. and and that is like an old married couple bickering yeah, away yeah, for two yeah. hours. It's brilliant. Um, you've got the World Football Phone in with Dotton Adebayo and tim vickery which is brilliant yeah, yeah. and for me you guys have moved into that pantheon with, oh, with what you do with the football finance honestly i really mean that i think you are the next the new married couple who have been married for years that's that's <laughs> the best compliment i can pay on that one well um, I, I i will take that compliment to be compared to uh simon mayo as far as i'm concerned is as a broadcaster is probably as big a compliment as i can I can get. I know Simon. I've done a lot of stuff with Simon in the past. I've learned a lot from him. So he's a worthing boy from my same place. He, he? Yeah. Well, that's uh, yeah. another reason to like him, obviously, because he's not from. <laughs> but that's that's <laughs> I, I, that's very kind of you to say so. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And I do, I do love doing it. And it, I, I think it, in a way, it's really helped the fact that he sports bright and I support Palace. Yeah, it's, it it's added flavor isn't it well it, it's it's also added flavor but it also it, it adds to the fact that people go yeah actually they're proper fans because we know we, we tease each other but it's never any you know we, we decided to take it after the deal the one all this season we decided not to record the day after we thought we'd give it just a day but then we didn't we didn't mention it on air because we talked about it for half an hour off air basically we just make each other laugh about how shit out each other's the clubs are basically so yeah, yeah. and it, well, it we helps Kieran, he, he yeah. said he Kieran said he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna bite at all you throw loads of quips <laughs> in and he just continuously blanks it doesn't he, he, does. he <laughs> I'm he, sure he's smiling but he's he's he's, he's very he's very like good at, well I, I do that's one of the things is that I <laughs> I, I I love making him I love making him I, I can make him laugh very easily because he's got the sense of humour of a nine-year-old boy, basically. So I can make him laugh on one level just by making a, a, a minor <laughs> double entendre. Haven't we all? When I get yeah, but when I get him when I get him on a football joke, it's, there's some I can I can sense him going, and it's great. It's it's, it's and also yeah. it it does. You know what? We're all men of a certain age, and it's just like it's 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 just nice to be together as well. Do you know what I mean? It's nice to have the same sort of backstory, and it's nice to. And the fact that we, it's not just football, it's music and politics and all sorts of stuff. It's just an easy, it's just an easy relationship really. And also I just, it just makes me laugh how I've, I've met his wife, the Baroness, a couple of times and she's just so good humoured about his, she says, it's, says you all think he's got this international playboy lifestyle. She said, if you listen to it, it's the same story. It's like it's one night with the Russian. It's like, it's, that's, oh no, okay, it's not. Seriously, is there was hundreds of us. You went, no, it's not. It's fine. It was one. So, but we've 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 made a whole pod around it, so that's fine. So, yeah. I, and the I, quiz was great, which we uh, I, I went on for oh, uh, recently. Uh, yeah, the, we had some. That was good fun. The, the, yeah, we're going to do it again in uh, um, in the new year. We're going to do it a couple of times, and obviously. The guy, the producer, God love him, said, "Well, let's let's see if we can monetize it." It's like, no, we're not doing that. It's going to be <laughs> monetize it. We're not going to do anything. We're going to we're going to amortize it. Or whatever. I still don't fully understand what amortization means. <laughs> but 
he'd be so upset, Kieran, if I admit that to him. I still don't. I do a lot of smiling and nodding, which doesn't work. I say, oh yeah, of course, amortization. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, but I think that's I think that's why the I think that's why it works as well because I generally don't. I'm generally learning from him in the same way that. that and also, it's astonishing. I just it's it's brilliant. I think also we we take every club seriously. It's like the third week we had a story about Forfar. And I've worked on so many TV shows, and I've been guilty of it as well. Where you, it's so easy to write jokes about Scottish football. It really is, and I've done a, I've done a lot of them. But we made a conscious effort that every club, every story was going to be treated with the same respect, because as it should be. Because you know, Macclesfield going out of business was shameful. Berry going out of business was shameful because to the to the ten thousand Berry fans and the ten thousand Macclesfield fans, those clubs mean as much as Man City does to a million Man City fans, or Liverpool does to two million Liverpool fans. And that's something else that people outside football don't understand. So we, we, you know, if there's a question about Falkirk or Bohemians or a club in Europe, we will deal with it as seriously as we do Barcelona because every single football club deserves the same level of respect as every other single football club, basically. Absolutely. Yeah, and I suppose that's where it helps that you've both like been through the leagues with your teams and that sort of thing. And kind of, you're not like Man U and Arsenal fans, whatever. You're kind of actual proper football fans who, <clears throat> even if Arsenal fans go all the time, they're still only going to the same teams every year. And that sort of thing. Would, would you know what, Pete? I think I think that really helped when I started doing match of the day too, because Palace were in the, the championship then. And I think if I'd been an, an Arsenal fan or a Man U fan, I think fans would have been a bit more wary about talking to me than they were. But because they knew I was a Palace fan, and again, I supported a, a, a shit team, basically, and they knew that I'd been going to games when we were shit, that does give you a certain level of, of, of kudos with, with football fans. And it's, I think if somebody like Alan Davis, for example, who is a mate of mine and I love, that if he tried to do it, it would have been a bit more suspicious from them because he supports a team that very rarely... Loses, so yeah. they even if you go all the time to us, or you are still going, barring well, the absolutely. Same, so, so, so they, they you know, if, if I was talking to like <coughs> when Blackpool were in the Premier League, they knew that I wasn't taking the piss out of them because I supported a team that wasn't in the Premier League and I, I supported a team that would have enjoyed being in the Premier League as much as, as they did. And, yeah. and of course, what you discover is it's often more fun going to Blackpool than it is going to Liverpool, you know, and it's. It's more well, fun. For one, you have, a, you have a reasonable chance of winning, which, I mean, well, in the end, is why we all go to football to see our teams win. I mean, is it? I, I, I don't really like yeah. the away games at like Man City because we generally have gone there. We're very yeah, glad no, really, and don't really ever look like we're ever going to win there. Yeah, whereas, yeah, the but that, that comes right back to the point you made very early on in the pod, Pete. It's like, you know, but yet you still go back. If, if you go to a bad play, you wouldn't go and see it again on Saturday, but we no, do. Exactly. We do exactly that. We, yeah, we. You go to Man City, you see your team lose, and you still go to the next game and the next game because after that. You, like, because a game like Man City, you're paranoid about the idea that the one year you don't go, you somehow pull off that win, yeah. and you kind of like you aren't there when you win at Man City. Because yeah. if you play Man City away a hundred times, the odds are yeah. probably you will win that game some yeah. point. You know, yeah. and if you are if you aren't there, your mates never let you forget you that that's the one you were. Other ones and not that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Kevin, Kevin, when um, I was on tweet, I was on Twitter the, um a while ago after the um Brighton Palace game, and um and I said um on on this tweet that basically I would rather be watching the way Brighton played that night and get relegated than watch what I described at the time as the anti football that Roy was playing, particularly as yeah. a number of my um. Palace friends like Vic Gibson, who runs the Butchers at Addiscombe, and um, and Rob and Chris from the football club. Um, you know they 
you know, they, they, they had a, a similar view of Palace plan then. Yeah. Someone come back to me and said, well, you'll be, you'll be in the championship next year. And I, and I went back to him and just said, to be honest with you, actually, out of the two divisions, that's where I, I prefer to watch my club. And I wondered, what do you really prefer? Do you, what, do you prefer your team in the Premiership or do you actually prefer when they're in the Championship? I think that there's always part of me that says, no, yeah, as a genuine fan, I'd rather be in the Championship. But to, to be perfectly honest, I think there's a generational thing. I, I, would, rather, I would rather we were in the Premier League. Uh, having said that, I would rather we found a less practical way of staying in there football-wise. And I, I think the, the reason that I want to stay in the Premier League is probably the same reason that Brighton fans want to stay in the Premier League, is that it's only 10 years since we were three minutes from going out of business altogether. And the longer we stay in the Premier League, the less financially we are to go out of business in future, unless we're taken over by idiots who drive us into the ground. or, or whatever. But there, there is a generational thing here. It's like my, my son and his mates... They, right from the start, they go, "No, we got to play better football. We got to be, we got to be pressing for Europe." And there's my generation. It's like I, I'm perfectly happy being in the Premier League. Having said that, I would like not to be in a relegation battle every season, and I would like to play better football. But it, it turns out Roy probably knows more about football than we do. And it's interesting at the moment. I, I, we've got the new stand going up, and I know Steve Parish. I think he worries about filling that. If, if we were playing the sort of football that we have played a lot under Roy. But having said that, there's always there's been a time every season when five, six games to go when we're safe, when Roy takes the handbrake off and we've played some really good football. Even under Allardyce, we've played some really good football. What's been really interesting in the last three games is the one thing we've talked about on the Palace pod for ever since Roy. Like Roy had a, a, he had a free card. The first season he came in, we were... We'd gone seven games without a, a point. So we were relegated. So whatever happened that season, Roy was a genius. That's fine. His first full season in charge, he kind of had a free hit as well because we didn't really add to the squad and if and he kept us up again. Lastly, second, his second full season in charge, we all thought we'd see a change. We thought we'd see a development and we didn't. And that's when it started to get really frustrating. Turning up at Sellers. It's, it's one thing turning up at Sellers under Tony Pulis seeing us have the ball for 25% of the game, but yet win 1-0. It's another thing going to sell us and seeing similar stats performances, but losing 1-0 and losing to teams that we shouldn't really lose to. It, it got very frustrating. You didn't look forward to leaving the pub to go to Palace to watch us play football. We were a better team away from home because we were better on the break. But now, just in the last three games, we seem finally to have hit on a a style of football. We seem to be building towards a style of football, at least, which is based on a strong defence and two holding midfielders, but letting the front four basically go off on their own and, and, and do stuff with occasionally. And it's, it's, it's frustrating, but we have to keep reminding ourselves that Roy probably is a better football manager than we are, basically. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that the, the, the fans that don't like Roy are England fans and Liverpool fans. Right. So he, he, he went to Liverpool and he tried to play the same way, that he always plays. And Roy, what's been interesting as well with Benteke's research recently is that Roy, I think, has always wanted to play a 4-4-2, essentially, but has become afraid of playing a 4-4-2 because he get called a dinosaur. So now he's found a way of... It's almost a 4-4-2, if you like. Yeah. 
but a more flexible, fluid one. But you talk to Fulham fans about him. You talk to West Brom fans about him. They love him. Yeah. And I, I suspect that I suspect that when Roy's not our manager, he'll be far more of a legend than he is because there are still Palace fans now who just won't have him, even with the, the good reason. One of teams who've maybe gone for the better football, Stoke, a very recent example, who yeah. obviously got rid of Pulis because he wasn't playing the football they wanted and brought in Hughes, spent quite a lot of money. And then Charleston, to a degree as well, Kirby fans were complaining about Kirby having taken as far as he could. And then look what happened to them. You know, there are, there are lots of teams who, who try to go for that better style. You start, some, if we go down this season, we'll go down as one as well. The, 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 thing, the thing is, Peter, as well, it's, it's, it, there is that be careful what you wish for. It's like there's never been a golden age of, of Palace as a brilliant team. It's, under Steve Coppell, it was probably the most pragmatic football. It was long, it was old-fashioned long ball football under Steve Coppell. It could be exciting at times, but basically our game plan under Steve Coppell was get it up front, get Brighty to... to flick it on and see what right he could do with it. That's what our plan was for five years under Coppola. And, and it got us to third in Division One and it got us to a, a, an FA Cup final. And we we revere Steve Coppola as our greatest ever manager. If there's ever been a Palace style, it's 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 wingers like, like Peter Taylor, Don Rogers and Vince Allaire. But we've never been, <clears throat> we're not like Tottenham or West Ham, renowned for attractive flying football. So it's not like the football we're watching now is that different? And when Pardew tried to turn us into an attacking football team, we were dreadful. I mean, we we, we could easily have gone down under Pardew. And I, I don't really buy into that romantic idea of I'd rather I'd rather go down playing attractive football than stay up playing pragmatic football. Obviously, if, if we were in the Championship, I would agree with Andy. I would say, yeah, this is the place to be. This is a place where, where real football fans are. But at the moment, I'm perfectly happy in the Premier League seeing good footballers week in, week out, albeit on, on TV. And it's just nice that Roy has found a way of, of hopefully realising that attacking... Te- the, the Newcastle game recently was a low point. That was the first time that even I went, do you know what, I wouldn't be unhappy if, if Hodgson went after this because that was atrocious. We Off the back of a really good result against Leeds when we attacked Leeds right from the start. It's the first time I've seen us do that for ages. Right from the final, first whistle, we went for Leeds. We beat them 4-1. And then we went away to Burnley... And it, that's always going to be difficult. But then at home to Newcastle, we played like a National League team in the third round of the FA Cup. And Newcastle are not a good side. Bruce is not a good manager. We're a better side than that. And we could have been, and we didn't, we played awfully. Yeah. And, and then that, that, that I was I was in despair. I was, I was close to saying, I think it's time for Roy to go. And then suddenly uh, against 10-man West Brom, fine, we played really well. Then we played really well against Tottenham and again against West Ham. Well, I think, I think night, Kevin... As a, if I was a Palace fan, one of the things that would have frustrated me this season with Roy is just that I think he could have been more ambitious. Yeah, I, I agree. think you've got some really good forwards I and agree. you've got some excellent um, you know, creative players. And certainly um, my mate Rob has been, you know, from the start of the season, why isn't he playing Eze? Why is yeah. he not? I think Eze probably does help um, Saha in some ways, takes a bit of the pressure off him, gives him a bit more space. But it's like, I just think he could have been ambitious from from a. It's like when you played against us, it's like you got the goal, and it's almost right. like you gave up. And it was yeah. One, one, one of our listeners, this. Chris, one of our listeners, Chris Jonas, said, "How did, how does he feel supporting a team who, when, when you showed zero ambition against us in that yeah, game no, as, as rivals, you must have been fuming with that." Yeah, absolutely. Do you think do you think absolutely. if that had been a full seller that that day, 
at the end of that game, his tactics might have got booed by the home fans. I, I absolutely, and I think the Newcastle game is a classic. Would you have done it though in that situation? I mean, I, I don't. I think the Newcastle example game is a classic example. If that had been a full seller, he'd have had to change it after twenty minutes because they simply wouldn't have allowed it to happen. Is is his, his first two seasons with us, he always left substitutions way too late. He was always, and it was always reactive, not proactive. And, and the question about a lack of ambition is a, is a very valid one because that was one of those classic games where you're shouting the screen saying, it's, we're playing Brighton. This is Brighton. You've got, we get one nil up, luckily, and then you go like, just keep, just attack them. It's the same that Newcastle game, right? You, a mate of mine always says, you can tell what's going to happen with the Palace. For the first, for Van Arnold's first touch, because normally from a from a kickoff it will get passed out to Van Arnold, and if he knocks it forward and runs, then it looks like we're up for it. If he if he controls it, knocks it back to the keeper or, or Cahill, then you think oh it's, yeah. it's back to it's back to square one because Roy's it, Roy's default setting is to leave the pitch with the point that you you started with basically, and there are times where we've been one or two nil up when Roy has taken a handbrake off as I said before, but. He, he won't set out to win games. And we've got players. All we want to see at Sellers Park, right, for, with the season ticket we pay quite a lot of money for, is us attacking teams at home. But having said that about Roy, and, and I'm still one of those people who, who, who trusted him, uh, we, we're bemused by Potter, because right? Potter is one of those, the media loving, and, and partly it's because half of the BBC and Sky live in Sussex. They all like Brighton anyway. But, <laughs> but, in, but in the same way that the, the, the press refuse to acknowledge that Sheffield United are a basket. They've got one point from 12 games, and yet they keep saying Chris Wilde will turn it round. This is a good thing. Sheffield United really overachieved last year. It's one of the games I was so cross at last year. They beat us 1-0. They were so mediocre. We sat back and treated them like, like Liverpool. That really infuriated me. The mm. press won't acknowledge that Chris Wilder will have to go. They're not going to get another point the way they're playing. It's as simple as that. They're going to go down. I can't see any way around it. But the same way we get slightly amused because like Graham Potter is held up as this wonderful, imaginative, creative coach. But then we look at the league table, we go, well, hang on a second. This is not adding up, is it? You know, and it, so well, I, because, I'd be so that's, that's because we have games like against you guys where you offered zero ambition. We at least shot and attacked and had most possession and we didn't win. Yeah. And that's why we're down the bottom, because we can't finish. But that's it. But you're not playing us every week. You're still... No, and we can't defend very well either when it comes down to it. Having said that, if there was one player in the Premier League, forget Man City, Man United... If there's one player in the Premier League I'd have at Sellers Park, it's Lamptey. I'd love to see Lamptey. Yeah, he's a good player, isn't he? I I genuinely think, though, between the two boxes, I think we're one of the most interesting teams to watch in Premier League. We just don't have that final ball, that final touch. But then that's what football's there for. Yeah, I agree. The other other problem with Roy, and I think it's a problem shared by older... It's like Allardyce and Pulis would admit that they would never play kids. They would never... They simply said there's too much at stake in the Premier League financially to play youngsters. Yeah, Putin was like that as well. Yeah, well left, so what's 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 really interesting is that we got you know Van uh, uh Bissaka, who probably oh probably over, we got too much money for him to be perfectly honest. I'm not entirely sure he's worth that much money. He was a brilliant player but he got in the team by mistake. Roy Hodgson admitted that he never heard of him. We had eight players out. He went down to watch another player in the academy and said he looks all right. Put him on the bench. Somebody got injured. He came, played, played really well. But Roy said he would never have played him. What's really interesting is that we got uh, Ferguson from West Brom, who we bought injured, 
And then Van Arnold got injured. So we got Tyreek Mitchell, who was 19, started the first seven or eight games. But we all said that as soon as Van Arnold was fit, no matter how well Mitchell played, we all knew that he'd put Van Arnold back in. And then he got Klein. So even if Ferguson was was fit, he he's no way that he would play two 19-year-old fullbacks, even though both of them are really good, exciting players. His default situation will be Van Arnholt and Klein. It's, it's, same as in, it's the same in central midfield. We were amazed when he bought Eze because every season, basically Roy's tick list is central midfield defensive player. Simple as that. And there would have been when we bought Eze, there would have been agents up and down the country going, "Hang on a second, this is not right. We've got we've got two defensive midfield players on my books. We thought he'd go to play." So Eze was really not a Roy, a Roy signing. And basically, it's been a standing joke that his, his big decision it's it, it's either it's it's Milivojevic and one of them either McCarthy or MacArthur. And now we've got Riedervald, who's been with us since Devore came in. Who's, who played for Ajax in the Champions League semi-final, was a really, really good player, only just got into the team under Roy. But as soon as McArthur was fit again, he was out. So Roy's default setting isn't creative players. But Eze is a really interesting one because from the start of the season on the FYP pod, we were all saying, he's got to put put Eze in. Why, why would you buy him and not play him? Except one lad on our pod went, no, hang on a second. He's, he's, he's letting him get a, a feel for the game. It's, you know, it's a massive difference between the Championship and the Premier League. Let's not frame him too quickly. And it turns out that Roy, Roy was right because he, he waited six or seven games before he, he made his first full start. Looked all right, didn't look outstanding. But in the last three games, it looked like a really quality Premier League player. And I, and I, I, I wonder whether Roy's change of heart has been because... And we still, the, the trouble with the structure at Palace, I don't like Dougie Freeman. Everyone knows I don't like Dougie Freeman for personal and, and very many reasons. Partly because. Agree he, on that one then. Yeah, partly because. Agree he, on that one. Yeah, call call he, him Doogie to annoy him. I, 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 I do call him Doogie to annoy him. But basically, but he, he, he walked out on us. On the, on, you know, he was our manager and he walked out on us on the morning of the Palace Millwall game to join Bolton. And he, he said that Bolton were a bigger, better club than Palace with better fans. And there's like, and I will never forgive him for that. That's why it's my favourite song, the two Doogie Freeman songs. Is it, He was a legend up front and now he's a, you can guess, but we, we don't, we don't, we don't know. It's really difficult to find out. And I know people at the club, I don't, I can't get a handle on who, who runs the club in terms of uh, recruitment and in terms of, scouting and in terms of the youngsters I don't know so I don't know whether Roy bought Eze in or whether Doogie Freeman bought Eze in or Steve Parrish bought Eze in so I don't know whether Roy bought Eze in to freshen things up or whether it's coincidence but the the fact that Eze started in the last three games has really given us a lift I don't know if Roy's looked at him and gone yeah finally he's the last piece in the jigsaw in the jigsaw we're fine at the back we're solid in midfield now we'll let the, the front four work. but, but Ben Teke's made a massive difference as well and I, I don't think any fans would have been as loyal to a player as we've been to Benteke. But mm. even if he hadn't scored the goals, which is brilliant, he scored the goals, even though the first one against West Brom, he had his eyes closed and it hit him. He's made such a difference because he's given us an actual focal point. He's given us, he's given us somebody to play to. And it's, it's a real shame that he won't be playing against Liverpool. But just the last couple of games... Uh, the comments about us being negative and the comments about us being defensive are absolutely right. But the last couple of games, there's just a glimmer of hope that that that's changing because none of us, none of us buy it. When he, when he came in and he kept us up, he could have done whatever he wanted. And we were, we would have accepted any tactics to stay up. Of course we would, but none of us, we don't, we, all of us want to go to Sellers Park or switch to Tele on 
to see us play good football. The other night, after the Tottenham game, when Mark Chapman said watching Palace was fun, and it's like, that went round our so it's like, what? No one said that for we've not said that for years, and that's that's all you want is, a, is is that idea that we might have a go at other teams, and, and it was, it's slightly. I would defend my team to luck also. I'll defend my club to the to the my last breath. But it, and it's only to other Palace fans that you could say on Palace pods that's a bit embarrassing, wasn't it? That's just not the Brighton game. Essentially, you're, you know, you're you're presenting the world is watching, and then you're playing. Like that, and and at the end of it, you're hanging yeah. on against ten man Brighton. I, against... I was surprised. I was surprised how you how I, I knew you setting up generally that way, but we, to the degree uh, that you did, I, I was amazed. Yeah, um, we we find it very difficult. Uh, and again, I don't know whether it's Roy's orders or whatever, or just when the players get on the pitch. But we, if we normally the Tottenham game was a real surprise because if we concede the first goal, that's it. We've normally we've normally yeah. lost the game. We, if we don't start a game on the front foot, we find it very difficult to get to get on the front foot. So, fingers crossed, it's like... Well, long. Kevin, I mean, you said you've got to go at 8.15. Oh, sorry, yes, I, I did. Have to, it is 8.50. Maybe I missed uh, it. No, I like, it. I like the sound of my own voice. It's right. That I takes, absolutely... That takes I, I could talk to you all night and I, right. I'm just worried you're going to end up divorced by the end of the evening. It is now Christmas uh, Day, so Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you've been on for a week. Uh, it's been wonderful. But no, I mean, we could talk all night. And there, there's a few more questions I had from from people that I'm, I might, may just send it to you and see if you can reply on, on that I, way. I'll tell you what, if, I will happily, as I will, happily uh, email them to me and I will happily All right, let's do that. Them. I will do that, let's definitely. Do that. Of course I will, yeah. The one, one final thing for me, well, actually, Bentake, I agree with you, he's a conduit, isn't he? And yeah. I think players yeah. play around him and he doesn't score many goals and it is a bit of a farce, but it's what he does apart from that, which is a point. The other thing was Eze, I really like him. I, I was a big yeah. fan of his. I was very jealous you signed him. Very annoying. Um the other thing I wanted to mention is the reason you came on was I'd, I'd asked you, I think, in the run-up to a Palace game, saying, well, any chance at all you'd come on? I think you replied, none at all. <laughs> and then, and then I, I read a tweet like from you I read a tweet from you saying um, you'd made a bet with somebody drunkenly about getting uh, photos of scarves with, yeah, it, with your yeah, book yeah. from every club, something like that. Yeah. And I said, I'll do that. If I do it, would you come on the show? And that's yes. the basis for coming on. Yeah, thank to you. mention the book, here it is. Thank uh, you. Who are you? Uh, written by Kevin Day, uh, published by Bloomsbury. It's got a forward by Gary Lineker, no less. Everyone's yeah, favourite household name. Even I mean, in his underpants, he's nice. You, you might notice that he's, his name's on the front cover more than mine is, which was an oversight that I wasn't too happy about. If oh, you yeah, look, he is, isn't he? Yeah, it's that's yeah. Bloomsbury's confidence in my name selling the book was obviously less than mine, basically. <laughs> it's bloody everywhere, that man. Does, anyway, but it? no, I recommend it. It's good fun. I've read Thank it. It's, it's it's amusing. It's, it's um, if people don't know what it is, uh, the sub title on the on the cover says 92 football clubs and why you shouldn't support them um i like the expression for palace it's just if you're not local you shouldn't be coming exactly my, well, my wife didn't understand that she said <laughs> that's a bit that's a bit singular isn't it <laughs> no, I know. well see originally the sub the subtitle was 91 football clubs and why you shouldn't support them but bloomsbury said that might <laughs> make people think it's too much of a palace book but the, and they stopped you putting brighton in small b didn't they as well well the, worse than that originally <laughs> Just very briefly, I had the idea for the book a long time ago, but then I had to write it out of economic necessity because I had one of those periods where there wasn't a lot of work coming in, which happens to freelance people. But I had the idea a long time ago. I came home from a Palace game one night uh, quite late, and my son was only eight or nine at the time, and he was he was still up, uh, which is a bit worrying because it was very late. And uh, as I got in, he said, 
dad can I have a word and Ali my wife was sort of hopping from foot to foot behind him looking a bit puzzled so I said of course you can son what is it and he said can I can I support uh Blackburn uh so I said well of course when you grow up and get your own house and your own job you can support who you want but in the meantime get your palace pajamas on get underneath your palace duvet and say goodnight to sell us the cat but then I said why why Blackburn and he said well I don't want to support Palace because you never come home happy. It's like, well, that's not the point. Happiness, no one who said football should be about happiness. And then I said, why Blackburn? He said, well, I went through all the other clubs with mum, trying to pick a club. And she said, no, he hates them. He hates them. And Blackburn was the only one that she said you didn't hate because you got drunk and and told her you loved her after a Blackburn game. I went, oh, clever mummy. But I just had this this idea at a time of trying to explain to a child why... Or football fans have all these bizarre dislikes of other football teams. Yeah. And when I finally got around to writing the book, I knew I was onto the a right area. And I was talking to a mate of mine who's also written a book. And he said, what, he was a West Ham fan. And he said, what chapter are you writing at the moment? I said, Oldham. He went, oh, I can hate Oldham. And he explained why he hated. And I suddenly thought, right, if a West Ham fan hates Oldham, I know I'm on the right track. Yeah. There's going to be people ticking all sorts. There, but right? I, I just wanted it to be a football book where... I wanted every club to be involved. I wanted to write about every club and for every club to get the same amount of words as, as each other. But I, I wanted to write a book where I didn't have to explain. I wanted to, people to go, I wanted Mansfield fans to go, oh, I've got a mate like Roy who never buys a drink at a game. I've got a mate like Chirpy who's always late. I just wanted people to, to recognise that it is a common experience and just to sort of share the love. And, and I, loved, I loved writing it. And the most important thing was that after the first couple of chapters, my editor at Bloomsbury went, I really like what you're doing, but stop stop writing for non-football fans. You're qualifying everything too much. And that was the thing that became liberated. So just assume that everybody who reads this book loves football. Yeah, because frankly, you're yeah. probably not going to get many people picking it up. Who don't no, of, co- of course not, exactly. And he, yeah. and he said what you said. He said, just assume that everybody who reads this book will go to their club's chapter first, think you're a twat, and then start reading every other chapter and go, oh, no, he's right. He's absolutely right. You know, so you know, older fans will go... Oh fuck! What this bloke? Oh, I can't stand him. And then they go, oh yeah, I like what he's written about Man United. So that's what, I, I, and it's. Yeah. I've been really pleased. It seems to have resonated amongst football fans, and I enjoyed right. And, and again, it's it's when I said earlier on, right at the start, that I'm very proud that people recognise me as a Palace fan. I'm I'm really proud that people recognise me as a football fan, basically, mm-hmm. essentially. So, and now I, I, I really I've just have seen the time, so I really do have to go. So. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much, great. Kevin. Thank and um, well, we, we wish you Happy New Year now as well. Yes, it's, Happy uh, New Year. Well, Merry Christmas to you all. And, I'll have uh, you back okay. sometime yeah. when it's nowhere near another Palace game. I would love to come back. So maybe we could meet in a pub somewhere, maybe in Crawley, in the in midway through. So but I, was, I'll, I'll say this, I won't even say this through gritted teeth. I'll say it uh, as a grown-up. Uh, yeah, Merry Christmas to all Brighton fans with a small B and a Happy New Year. And the same to Palace, the P word. Lovely. <laughs> Cheers, Kevin. <laughs> so, so, see you at Smellhurst. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.